0: Amen. It is a joy uh, to get to worship with you today and for us to dive into First Peter. And so if you have your Bible, I just invite you to turn to First Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one in front of you. Uh, we would love for that to become your copy of the Word if you don't have one. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't already kind of jumped in with us when it comes to First Peter and the reading plan and all those kinds of things, we would invite you to do that. We, we want to be a people, just like we prayed together this morning, we want a people who are to be a people who are pursuing Jesus together. And a great way to do that is through this First Peter series. Uh, and, and like I said last week, if, if you're new or you're just kind of first getting into this, you might say, well, I, I, am I too far behind? We are at verse 6 of chapter 1 today. So this is a great place to jump in. You're not too far behind at all. And one of the beautiful things about the reading plan is it's not just 1 Peter, but it, it's passages all throughout the Bible and kind of give us a bigger perspective of what God's doing in this story of redemption. Uh, and then we get to look at it in close through 1 Peter. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, to that end and to study the Word with others. And so whether that's through a life group, whether that's through friends or discipleship, to find somebody to be in this book with and being talking about, praying about, Lord, what is my next step of obedience? Help me to do that, doing that with other people. And so let's just go ahead and dive straight into the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 6. In this you rejoice... in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. We just pray with me again? Father God, we, we come and ask that you would meet us here, that you would open our eyes. Holy Spirit, please move in this place. Please uh, help me to be helpful, and as we talk about trial and The purpose of it in our lives, Lord, I I pray that this would be so much more than than information, but we pray that it would be transformation. That you would change the way we think, change the way we live, change the way we long and desire for you. Uh, And I just pray right now for brothers and sisters in this room who are walking through difficulty, walking through hardship, walking through trials of different kinds, Lord, that even today, your nearness would be their good. We, we want to be a church who suffers well. And whatever life brings our way, please help us. And we thank you that we look to one who suffered in our place, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, So this past week, uh, we got to do something fun as a family that probably several of your families got to do as well. We got to go sledding. So if you were here last Sunday morning, our our services kind of got shifted around a little bit because of the snow that wasn't really snow, but snow was coming, and you never know what you're going to get in East Tennessee. Uh, But we probably, at our house, got about an inch and a half, two inches. And so that's enough for my kids to be like, all right, it's on. We're going to do this. We're going to go sledding. And so uh, on Monday night, we got to go out. I had some meetings that day. And so we went out late Monday night and went sledding from like eight to 10 o'clock. I had some friends coming over and just had a blast. It was so much fun. Uh, but I was reminded Monday night that my youngest son trip is a tree magnet. So I don't know what it is about him. The runway can be clear, nothing around. But if there's an obstacle anywhere within like a half mile radius, that boy is going to go like toward it. So we're constantly trying to help steer him away from trees and away from buildings. At one point, he like ran into the side of a building at our house. and like, what are you doing? Like this doesn't make any sense. But no fear. He doesn't want anybody to go with him. He just goes for it. Uh, Even there was one time, it was actually last week when we had the first little snow, and he was outside going down this big hill, and we've got a fence line that runs alongside of our house, and he is headed straight for the fence line. And Katie and I are yelling, Bill out, Bill out! And, uh, you know, he just keeps cruising, and praise God, he hit the fence pole instead of going into the barbed wire fence. But he's just, he's a crazy kid. And so, he's not here this morning, so I can can talk about it. but here's the point. If What you wouldn't know about Tripp is a couple years ago, and he's five years old, going on six, he hated going out in the snow he did not want to go out in the snow, he did not want to go sledding, he did not want to put on all those big heavy clothes, he cried, he complained and so we did what all loving parents do, we forced him. You know you're going to do this or you're not going to eat, you know you're you're going to do this we're gonna make you, you know, it's like put this stuff on him, he's crying, mom's crying, I'm like this is what we're gonna do, you know, like throw him out in the snow, like you can do this, we're in this together. And and he hated it. He he was afraid to go down hills, the snow again. He's just a little guy, so it comes up a lot higher on him. It's harder, it's uncomfortable, it's cold. Uh, But Katie and I knew, like, he needs to do this. Not just so that he could do it better one day um, or or enjoy it. Like, that's part of it. But he needs to do this so he can grow. He's got to face this tension so that he can gain confidence, so that he can understand the world around him, so he learns how to move forward. And as as we come to our text this morning, last week we got to talk about the joy of our living hope. That because of Jesus Christ dying in our place and raising from the dead, that God the Father has made a way for us to have a hope that's anchored into something that's alive. And so we talked about the nature of this hope, and we talked about why we as believers have hope. But then Peter shifts, as he goes into verse 6 into these next few verses, and he recognizes that he is talking about hope, but he's talking about hope to people who are living in a fallen, broken, difficult world. And I think sometimes for us, we feel that tension too. Like we know, if you're if you a Jesus follower, we know that we have hope in Christ. We want to have our hope in Christ. But we wrestle with the tension of the, the difficulty that's around us. And what do we do with it? And so Peter goes straight from hope directly into trial. And what he tells the church and what he's telling us this morning is this. Is that for the Jesus follower... Trial has a purpose in our life. That, that just like Katie and I threw Trip out in the snow and we're going to do this, that, that God puts us in places in our lives that are harder than we can handle, that are beyond us, that are outside of our ability, outside of our strength for a reason. And that reason is because he wants to form our faith. He wants to strengthen our faith. He wants to prove that our faith is. Is real, and that, that's our big truth this morning, which is this: faith is formed through trial. Faith is formed through trial. We know that to to live and to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, is a life of faith. Romans one seventeen says, "The just, the righteous, shall live by faith." In Romans eleven, it says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." The Christian life is. A life of faith. It is a race of faith. It is trusting God step by step, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. It is a road, a journey of faith. And the way that our faith is most fully formed and proven as Jesus followers is through difficulty, hardship, or as Peter uses the word here, trial. Let's just look at the text again. Look at verse 6. And you can see this. In this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That God is using trial to form the faith of believers. Peter's gonna pick this theme up again Later in chapter 4, I just want to read from there, starting in verse 12. Beloved, the ones he loves, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised When suffering, hardship, trial comes into your life, there's a purpose in your pain. There's a purpose in the hardship. We can rejoice even when life is falling apart. We can rejoice even when we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. We can rejoice even when there's not a reason in our circumstances to rejoice. Why? Because God is at work refining us Sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus Christ, that His will and His purposes are happening in our lives. So, this is a process of spiritual formation, us becoming like Jesus Christ. So, let me just remind us of two realities about spiritual formation. First, spiritual formation is a process, it's a process. That it's not going from death and sin to life in Christ, becoming a Jesus follower, and we've arrived. No. Spiritual formation, becoming like Jesus Christ, is an ongoing, never ending, never stopping, always pressing forward process until we go be with God. So we are in that process, we are being formed constantly second reality about spiritual formation that's really important that that Peter's addressing here, and he's going to address throughout this letter to the churches, is this. Spiritual formation is both active and passive. Active and passive. What does that mean? Active means there's a part of spiritual formation where we walk in obedience. We obey the commands of God. We run from sin. We run to God. We pursue holiness. We're going to talk about the active part of that next week and in the coming weeks. But there's also a passive part of spiritual formation, which means it's not something we do, but it's what God is doing in us. And simultaneously, these two things are at work all the time. God is working in us, and we are called to respond in obedience to that work. And one of the ways that God works in us as Jesus followers is through trials, hardship, difficulty. So if faith is formed through trial, that leads us to ask and try to answer a few really important questions. So here's here's the questions that I come at this text as we're reading it. And I think these are probably some of the questions that you might be asking too. First question is this, what are trials? What does he mean when he talks about trials? We'll try to give some definition to it. The second question is this, why does God use trial? Why does God use trials in our lives? What what do trials do? Why does he use that method? Thankfully, Peter answers that question. Then a last question that I think maybe not everyone in this room is asking, but probably some of you are. What do I do with my trial? In a room this size, I know that there are many of you who are walking through some deep hardship. Hurt, sickness, loss, heavy questions. What do I do in the middle of my trial? What do I do with this? How do I respond in this? Thankfully, God's word helps us. So let's just walk through this text. Let's try to answer these questions, and then we get to respond by taking the Lord's Supper this morning. So first question, what trials let me just try to give some definition from this passage Uh, so the nature of trials the nature of trials what does Peter tell us about trials he doesn't use the word hardship he doesn't use the word difficulty he doesn't use the word suffering he doesn't use the word persecution all of those words could be used but instead he uses the word trial why? Because trial means that there's a testing that's going on through that difficulty. So, first thing he tells us about the nature of trials is this. Trials are difficulty, hardship, suffering, or loss that tests endurance. A trial is something that tests our endurance. Look again at verse 6. He says that we are going through, it's necessary we be grieved by various trials so that the Testing, there's the testing part of your faith. So the testing of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested, there's that word again, tested by fire. It talks about gold that perishes. And so the assumption that Peter's saying is that faith doesn't perish. This kind of testing, this testing will prove endurance if faith is real. So trial is a test through hardship, through difficulty, through loss, through persecution that shows the genuineness, the validity of one's faith. It tests our endurance, it tests what our faith is in. The second thing that he tells us about the nature of trial in this passage is that trials come in various forms and they carry an emotional cost. Look at what he says, he says right now it's necessary for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials. Now two important words there he says one for a little while we'll get to that in just a minute. He says various what does that mean? It means trials, hardship, pain can take many different forms that what it looks like for your life and for the person's next to you's life might look drastically different What God is going to call you to walk through, the hardship, might be different than what I'm going to have to walk through. It comes in various, many different forms. It's not just one specific way. But not only does it come in various forms, but it comes at an emotional cost. He says, grieved by. If you circle or highlight in your Bible, that grieving is an emotional weight, an emotional cost. Trials cause a price to be paid. And some of you, if you've gone through COVID and you've gone through the last few years, there's been grieving involved. There's loss that's involved. There's emotional pain that's involved. Trials involve that. Trials come in various forms. They carry an emotional cost. Third thing he tells us is that trials are momentary in comparison to eternity. Notice he uses the word for a little while. For a little while means that trials are not permanent. Permanent. Now, here's the caveat, in comparison to eternity. For some of us, the trials that we'll walk through might be for a month, they might be for a week, or they might be for a year. For some of you, you might walk through a trial that doesn't end in this life. So when he talks about momentary, he's not talking about that it's going to be really short and then you're going to get through it and everything's going to be fine. No, he's saying in light of eternity... The affliction, the difficulty, the hardship we walk through right now is limited. It's only for a little while. It's not forever. There is a day of relief that's coming in Christ Jesus, which leads to a fourth thing that he tells us about trials, which is this. Hope is not found in trial. Instead, hope frames our understanding of our trials. Look again at the beginning of verse 6. In this you rejoice. What is the in this you rejoice? It's pointing back. It's pointing to the living hope that we have in God. It's not pointing to the trial. So if you're going through something really difficult or hard, you don't necessarily have to find joy in the pain, but we have joy, we have hope in the pain. Not because of the pain, but because of what God is doing in the pain. Hope frames the way in which we see the trial. Hope changes our perspective of it because we see a greater purpose in it than what was presently in front of us. Hope frames our understanding of trials, which leads to a second really important question. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time together. Why does God use trial? Why does God use trials to form our faith? I just want to give you four big ideas this morning. The first one we'll spend the most time on and then we'll kind of move to the other for you. Why does God use trials? First answer is this. Trial tests the genuineness of our faith. Trial tests the genuineness of our faith. Again, looking at verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? Verse 7 answers that question. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes those tested by the fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why trial? Trial tests the genuineness of our faith. So let me just, let me kind of unpack that for a minute. What does that mean? What does that look like? A few things. First is this. Trial shows, trial tests, it demonstrates Whether or not our faith is real. Trial shows whether or not your faith is real. So he uses the picture of gold and he says, at this time in human history, gold is the most valuable substance on the planet. It is strong, but under the pressure and heat of fire, it can perish. It can be destroyed. Gold can be destroyed, but faith under fire will not be destroyed. True, genuine faith will outlast the test. It will stand the test. It will endure to the end. And so trial test whether or not our faith is real. Jesus talked about that. when he talked about the seed and the sower and how some of the seed lands on rocky soil and it springs up out of joy. But then when the heat comes out and scorches it, it dies because it didn't have any root. It is the heat, it is the hardship of trial on the human heart that reveals whether or not faith is real or faith is not real. So a point of application for you and for me this morning is this. What does trial reveal about our faith? When you go through hardship, when you go through sickness, when you go through loss, when that thing happens at your job that's your worst fear, or with your child, whatever that is, and you're walking through the heaviness and brokenness of that moment, what does that show about your faith? Does faith deepen? Is there a resolve to trust in God? Or is there a pushing away from God? Turning from God? Is there a a trying to fix it, a trying to make it work instead of a running to God. What does trial reveal about our faith? Does trial in your life or my life, does it reveal the presence or absence of God's spirit? When your life is pressed, what comes out? My dad used to always use an illustration when I was growing up talking about like an orange. If you squeeze an orange, what should come out? Orange juice. What, what happens when a Christian is squeezed? What should come out of their life? Christ. The Holy Spirit. So when you're going through trial, when you're going through the squeezing, what, what comes out? What is shown through that difficulty? For some today, this passage, this message will be really encouraging. Because you're in it you've gone through it, you're in the thick of it, and you don't understand it, and you don't want it, but God is good in it. And you're leaning in, you're trusting him, and today is just a reminder to you that your faith is real, that's genuine, that God is at work in you. But for others, friends, this morning, I just wanna encourage you, for some of you, the gift of grace, of this message, of this passage, would be for you to see that in your life that there's not faith. That you would say you believe in Jesus or you were baptized or you walked down an aisle, you made a profession of faith, whatever that is, but when difficulty and hardship come into your life, what pours out of your heart is not faith in God, but despair, anger, bitterness, hopelessness. And maybe one of the greatest graces of today is that this passage the Holy Spirit used to open your eyes to say you need Jesus, that your hope is not built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Trial test whether or not our faith is real. The second thing that it tests is it tests our trust in God. Trial test our trust in God look again at verse 6 this is a really important phrase if you underline or circle in your Bible it says in this rejoice now for a little while here are the key words if necessary if necessary what does that mean if you are a Christian and you are going through trial it is necessary for you to walk through this hardship and trial. It is a part of God's purpose. It is a part of God's plan for your life. There is meaning in your trial. There's meaning in your hardship. A great example of this is Jesus Christ. Think about Matthew four, Jesus was baptized, Matthew three and what happens, Matthew four verse one, it says that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led him. It was God's purpose, God's plan for Jesus to face that trial. Whatever trials come into our life, it is a part of God's plan for us. And let's be honest, that's hard. How could a God who loves us, who cares about us, bring pain into our lives? You see, in our world, we don't equate pain with love. But the Bible says that because God loves us, He brings pain into our lives. Hebrews 11, because he loves us, he brings discipline and correction into our lives. That is most clearly seen at the cross, that God's love and trial, difficulty, hardship, loss are not at odds with one another. They work together because God is building something in us for his glory, so we should trust him. If we began to see God as the one who's sovereign over our trial, we would begin to see purpose in our pain. And for some of us this morning, we need to be reminded God is in control, even in our loss, even in our pain. John Owen, a a Puritan pastor said it this way, afflictions and troubles are what God has provided in his house for his children. Afflictions are not to be despised because they are the corrective work of the Lord. Men often do despise afflictions. They think that the troubles that come upon them are meaningless. They refuse to see God's hand in them. Friends, if if you are a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower and you're walking through difficulty, loss, trial, trouble, God's hand is in that for your good and for his glory. Do you trust God with what's happening in your life today? Even in a, even a world where we've been walking through a global pandemic, we've been forced to stop and say, do we trust God with what he's bringing in our lives today? Trial tests the genuineness of our faith because it exposes whether or not our faith is real. It also exposes whether or not we are really trusting God with the circumstances of our lives. But the third thing that trial does is it refines our pursuit of God. It refines our pursuit of God. It does that in two ways. One, trial reveals our sin. The picture here is a refinery, gold being tested. So during this time that if they wanted to get the impurities out of metal, impurities out of gold, they would heat it up very hot so that the impurities would separate from the actual substance. The same thing's true in our life. This is a picture of what God's doing. He puts us into the oven. He puts us into difficulty. He puts us in the hardship and trial to reveal to us our sin, to reveal to us and break the pride in our lives, the selfishness in our lives because he loves us, because he wants us to be more like Jesus. Trial reveals our sin, but secondly, trials build our endurance. I was talking about Trip earlier and forcing him to go out in the snow, forcing him to face this hardship. It builds endurance. It builds strength. This is true of us, and we see this throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of, again, he uses the same word as Peter, various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Faithfulness, that enduring faithfulness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may become complete or perfect, lacking in nothing. How do we become complete in Christ? How do we become conformed to the image of Christ? Through trial and testing, difficulty, pressure. It refines us, but also builds spiritual muscles so that we can follow God. The Apostle Paul speaks of this as well, Romans 5, 3 through 5. I want you to listen to this process. Because for us in a Western world in America, our temptation, let me just be honest, my temptation is to try to avoid pain at all costs. I'm hungry, so I get the Uber app out. You know, I, I want that thing that I don't have in my house, so I go to Amazon and I buy it. I have need, and so I fulfill it. I don't want to feel discomfort, I don't want to feel pain, I don't want to feel hunger. And so I supply that need for myself instead of leaning into that. But I want you to hear this process of how God uses hardship in our lives. First, I'm sorry, Romans 5 verse 3 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Let's pause there for a second. He doesn't just say we endure suffering... We grind our teeth and bear it. What does he say? We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Listen to that. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. For some of us, we might be asking the question, why do I feel hopeless? Why do I not have hope? Maybe it's because we've not allowed suffering to produce endurance. And endurance to build character. And character produce hope. There's this process of sanctification that God brings into our lives through pain, hardship, trial that is for our good, for his glory. Do you, do I, do we view, view pain and difficulty and discomfort as a means of God's grace? Hardship in our lives is meant to be a means of God's grace, to prove our faith, deepen our trust in God, to reveal our sin, and to grow our endurance in our pursuit of God. Friends, what is trial revealing about your faith this morning? C.S. Lewis talks about pain and he says it this way, pain whispers, or God whispers in our pleasures, God speaks in our consciousness, but he shouts in our pain. It is in pain and difficulty and loss when God's work is at most present, when we are most aware of his work in our lives, when it drives us to our knees, when it leaves us in submission, we see him in a way we would not see him otherwise. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes, says, "...I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages." The in a Jesus follower's life, those waves of life, if they toss you back into the rock, into God, it is a gift of grace in your life, in my life. Trial tests the genuineness of our faith. But that's not the only thing trial does. Let me give you a few other big ideas very quickly. Second, trial reveals the fruit of faith. Trial reveals the fruit of faith. Look with me in verse 8. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What is the fruit of faith? The fruit of faith, what Peter tells us here is this. Love, trust, and joy. The fruit of faith is love, trust, joy. that when we are walking through hardship and we are walking through trial and faith is at work in our life, the byproduct, the fruit of our life will be greater love for God, greater trust in Him, even though we don't see Him, even though He's not physically present with us, His Spirit is present with us, and so it builds our trust, it builds our belief. But I don't want you to miss this, brothers and sisters, if you're looking in your Bible again, circle and highlight the word Joy. One of the byproducts, one of the fruit of faith is joy, inexpressible joy. Joy that is filled with glory. Why? Because there is a nearness of God in our difficulty, in our hardship that brings joy. That grows our love, that builds our trust. The fruit of the Spirit are formed through hardship. He's saying they're coming out through trial, coming out through difficulty. So again a question for us this morning is love, trust, and joy growing in our lives. If you want to love God more, if you want to trust God more, if you want to experience more joy, friends, you're going to have to go through trial. Cuz it's in the refinery that those things are built in ways they cannot be built otherwise. Third big idea is this, trial not only test the genuineness of our faith, and not only reveals the freedom of faith, but third, trial platforms the purpose of faith. What is the platform? What is the purpose that is platformed through our faith? The glory of God. Pastor Mike said at the beginning when we are praying that the purpose of our faith is to bring praise, glory, and honor to God. Look at the result that Peter talks about in verse 7. He says that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious to the gold that perishes that is tested by the fire may be found. What is the result? What is to be produced? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot here and we don't have a lot of time to unpack it but I think there's two things happening. When we honor God, and we walk in faith through trial, that one day when we get to see Jesus face to face, we will receive praise, glory, and honor from our God and Savior, which is the greatest reward we could see, receive. But when we receive praise, honor, and glory from God, it's actually praise, honor, and glory to God because God is the one who carries us through the trial. Amen? So in our pursuit of God, in the difficulty, in the hardship of life, God gets glorified. Nothing makes God look more beautiful and glorious on planet Earth than when we honor and trust Him in the middle of suffering and hardship. When you're going through loss and watching family, watching neighbors, watching coworkers, See your hope in God. It makes Him look glorious. Maybe the greatest reason for your diagnosis, for your leukemia, for your cancer, for your job loss is so that a watching world can see your pain. But not just see your pain. See God being glorified through your pain. I quoted John Owen earlier, and John Owen's a pastor. He lived during the 1600s. Uh, He's become, uh, uh, he's dead, but he's become a friend to me over the last year. That's kind of weird to say. Uh, But I've been deeply encouraged reading John Owen. And if, if you read any of his works, he loves God so deeply. And he is, stirs your affections for God. He, he was passionate for God. A great mind and theologian. But here's what a lot of people don't know about John Owen. John Owen had 11 children. I know that's a lot of kids. All of them died. Including his wife. Over 35 years. Think about that. Moms and dads. A parent. You outlast every single child and your spouse. And from reading so many of his books, his faith didn't waver. His faith grew. Why? Because God was good to him in his loss. Again and again and again and again and again. That makes God look glorious. That puts the beauty of the gospel on display. That's where faith is refined. It's not just in a textbook, it's not just theology, but it is a life lived for the glory of God. One of the purposes of my role, my job, alongside of your other elders here at our church is to prepare you for suffering. to help prepare your heart to suffer well in the seasons ahead. It's one of the ways that the church is the visible light of Christ in a broken, fallen world. Trial has purpose. Pain has purpose. God's nearness is our good through difficulty and hardship. Trial tests the genuineness of our faith. Trial reveals the fruit of faith. Trial platforms the purpose of faith. The last big idea is this. Trial reveals the outcome of our faith which is the salvation of our souls. Look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now, this is an interesting verse, and I don't have the time to get into the depths of it, so come back to behind the message. We'll unpack more of this. But Peter's not talking about salvation past. He's not talking about a moment of salvation. He's talking about salvation future. He's saying that a life of faith in the middle of trial will result in a coming salvation. This future-oriented looking at when Jesus comes again. And that faith is the mark that we are truly saved. And faith will lead us into that future salvation that's coming. He says, This salvation is so precious. The prophets, they searched for it. They tried to figure it out, but they didn't get to see it in their day. That has been proclaimed. It's been preached to you. The angels long to look at it. But guess what, brothers and sisters? We get to experience it in full on this side of the cross. There is a redemption that has happened, but there's a redemption that is coming when all the wrongs will be made right, and we get to see Jesus face to face. Trial prepares us for that salvation. It brings this outcome in our lives. So this leads to the last question. What do I do with my pain? What do I do with my trial? For some of you, you're in the middle of it. How do you respond? Let me just give you a few thoughts in closing. First is this, trust God. I know that's easy to say and hard to do, but brother, sister, if you're walking through hardship, if you're walking through trial, if you're walking through loss, you can trust God. There is purpose in your pain. He is working in your pain. There's joy that can be brought from your pain. Trust Him. You may not understand it. It may not make sense to you, and normally it doesn't. Trust Him. Second thing, lean into the trial. Don't try to run from it. Don't try to fix it in your own pride. Don't fall into the despair, I'll never overcome it. Lean in, asking the Holy Spirit to help you who is our comforter, who is the one who helps us through our trial. Lean in, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, please help me. And the third thing I would encourage you to do is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I want to call our attention as we go into the Lord's Supper to 1 Peter 3, verse 18. It won't be on the screen. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, you can. But Peter's talking about suffering. And I want you to see what he calls his readers to. For Christ also suffered. For Christ also suffered suffered what does that mean you are not alone in your suffering for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in Spirit. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, remember that your Savior walked through Gethsemane. He is near in our suffering and hardship. And God's purposes in Christ's pain are for our redemption. God's purposes in your pain are for your good and for his glory. And one of the ways that we look to Jesus is through the Lord's Supper. So I just want to invite you where you are just to bow your head, to close your eyes. And I want to give you a few moments of time of examination to prepare your heart to take of the Lord's Supper. To remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for you, to remember that his body was beaten and mangled, and his body is represented by the bread. So, just where you are, if your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're a Christian in this room, I just want to give you a moment to examine your heart. Is there any sin in you? Is there any unconfessed sin? Maybe you're walking through trial and hardship and it's been a struggle for you to trust God. Might be an opportunity just to repent and entrust your circumstances to him. Maybe there's brokenness between you and a spouse, sibling, friend, neighbor a brother or sister in Christ that's unresolved. It's an opportunity to repent, to confess that, and in the next few moments, even just to go to them, to abstain from taking of the cup so that you might reconcile with them. be an opportunity just again to say, Lord, I I don't understand why you have me what's going on in my life, but Holy Spirit, help me to lean in. Help me to trust you. Help me to see your grace. Please grow my faith, grow love, grow trust, grow joy in me in this season. I need you. Father God, I just, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I, I feel um, always the weight of talking about this topic and this text, because I know for some of them, they've walked through hardship that I've not tasted, but you have. So I just ask that you would be near the Holy Spirit. You'd help us in our trial, grow our faith, form us into the image of Christ help our lives to bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.